And a good late November afternoon to all you on Wildfire Radio. Welcome to Colton's Court. I'm Gerald Colton. And along with Jari Evans, we will bring you all sorts of goings-on in the sports world over the next hour. I'm a longtime sports agent attorney. Jari, six-time Pro Bowl guard, mostly with the New Orleans Saints, finished his career with the Green Bay Packers. He's still available, actually, and still in great shape, and certainly a lot better than a lot of guys I'm watching playing on Sunday. <laughs> and Jari, just back from New Orleans, where he went to see his old club as a fan for the first time ever in a stadium that he played 11 years in and was part of a Super Bowl champion himself. And he got to watch them play the team from his city. So it was his squad versus his city, and his squad wow. kicked his city's ass. Welcome yeah. back to Philadelphia, Jai. You literally just got, got back in. Um, how was your weekend in, in NOLA? Man, it was uh, a different view than I normally have in that, in that dome. But uh, it was a fun weekend. The city was, uh, was electric. It was a lot of green in the in the city before the game, and then after the game, it was no green in the city. <laughs> you know, it's funny, John. There's a, there's a bunch of things I want to talk to you about yeah. about the, your weekend down there, and, and uh, you've played in several Philadelphia Eagles, New Orleans Saints games over your career, but you never were there as a fan, so it had to be a totally different experience right. seeing that. And and the way Eagles Nation travels is yeah. is like no other right now. And um, I'm a Philadelphian through and through. I love, love, love my city, but there are times when my city and its people embarrasses me a little bit. And, one, and sometimes it's on the road. When I was in Minnesota last year for the Super Bowl, and the people of Minnesota could not have been nicer. They better be nice as cold as it is up there. But yeah. they, they, they were warm. The weather's cold. But the, the way the Eagles travel... The people of a city sometimes really don't like us. And I remember all the Minnesota people say, boy, you people are rude and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. What was your experience watching Eagles Nation try to take over Bourbon Street in New Orleans and, then, and then suffer a really inglorious defeat? Listen, they took it. They they may have thought that they took it over because, you know, they everybody wants to travel to New Orleans. Because New, New Orleans is, you know. They're used to opposing teams traveling there because it's a destination place. Everybody wants to go there. Everybody wants to experience New Orleans, the French Quarter, Bourbon Street, and everything. But, you know, the fans knew that they were going into a freaking, you know, Saints jungle in that dome. And, um, you know, I was at a, I had a lot of, you know, friends that was down there that are from the city of Philadelphia and some business people that are from the city of Philadelphia. And there was a lot of, you know, a few Eagles events down there that I popped in with, with, uh, with Hollis who, you know, played here in Philly for a long time and played in New Orleans with me also for, for three years. And, uh, a good friend of mine. And, um, and everybody was there. They were happy. They were cheerful. And, you know, they were just hoping that it wasn't going to be too ugly. And it turned out to be pretty ugly. From an Eagles perspective, it would have been hard to be uglier. Yeah. But from yeah. New Orleans perspective, it was pretty beautiful. We're going to be the doing city, the, the, And also, I'm sorry, but the, but, the, but the fans in the city, they they knew that. They was like, come on, y'all not going to beat us. Like, they, they knew that it was going to be ugly for them. So they wasn't. it wasn't even like, you know, there was a lot of trash talking and all that going on. It was a lot of Eagles chants going on. But then after the game, they were like, E-A-S-Y, easy. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, you know, the big easy. Was like, it was no. We're only, uh, you know, nine months removed from the Eagles winning the Super Bowl championship. Yeah. And um, obviously Philadelphia kind of still – you know, regling in that glory a little bit, but the 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 gleam off that Super Bowl <clears throat> trophy is getting a little tarnished because this is becoming a pretty ugly season right now. Well, you know, listen, man, it's it it is what it is. I think that, and I was talking to an Eagles fan last night before I left, and um, you know, it was Eagles fans in the bar, and I'm like, 
Yo. There's a bar in New Orleans. I didn't know this. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, y'all act like it's not hard to win in this league. Y'all just won a Super Bowl. Y'all, you know, I, I, I've i been through five, you know, NFC championships with Andy Reid. And you, and now you Doug Peterson got a Super Bowl. And everybody's acting like it's easy to win. Just because the way they did it last year and they had injuries and they were able to overcome those injuries. And, and this year they're just not able to overcome those injuries and they're not able to overcome success. When you have success in the National Football League, you put a radar on you. You tell on yourself. You tell people what you're good at. And if you don't continue to get better, you're going to get beat. That's how hard it is to be consistent and to win in the National Football League. And you're witnessing it. You're seeing it. And I'm just like, y'all act like it, this thing is easy. Like everybody, just like Jim said earlier, it's hard to win in the National Football League. And the Philly fans are experiencing that. But when you do win, like they did the season before, you also have people that exit the space. You have players that leave. You have coaches that leave. And they're experiencing that too, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Well, Ja, you know, we came off the season of 2017 for the Eagles where they did have some injuries, but it still was magical. Everything broke right. great. We we talked about how they, they were the underdogs, and, and things changed a year later. And um, You know, as good as everything broke last year, now and certainly yesterday, nothing could have gone worse. And one of the things, and you, you know full well, better than anybody, what it's like to be playing on a New Orleans Saints team on a roll yeah. in the Dome. Yeah. And that's, you know, nine straight wins coming in. Uh, first 10-game win streak since Super Bowl season of 2009, the well, Super not, Bowl 44. They're 9-1 now. Okay, so if they get it next street. week. Yeah, so it's, it's, so, you know, they're But they're at home next week against Atlanta on, on Thanksgiving, so that's going to be a And tough, a, but, a but, yeah. prohibitive favorite. I mean, that's yeah. normally been a rival, but they're two teams really in different directions yeah. right now. And you know what it's like. So from my perspective going into that game with the Eagles really stumbling in, having blown a game at home to Dallas and um, just not really clicking at all, uh, I knew in, if they had any chance against the Saints, they'd have to come out strong. They have right. to get a jump on them. You have to have right. this team that has momentum and put them a little bit, you know, a little bit panicked and, and make things difficult. And the Eagles got the ball to start. They had a lame three and out for a series, a, a kind of a short punt. The Saints had the ball at the forty. Yep. The crowd was rocking, and before long, it was seven nothing. And I, I was like, all right, let's let's go get a pizza. This game's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is, and it's and it's wild because I've been saying all week the only way you have success is if you limit Drew Brees touches and here we are first drive of the game they get the ball first and first play of the game negative yards next thing you know two plays later three and out and I and I with you I'm up there like this game is over <clears throat> if the defense is coming out like this to start the game you know, they're in all white. I'll never remember wearing all white. Do you know why home. they were all white? Do you know? It's uh, a funny story. No, I, I, I don't know why they were all white. Doug Peterson won a golf bet with Sean Payton Oh, that's Payton right, to wear the, the green ones, to so. wear the dark ones. That's right, I forgot. <laughs> so they were all white. I'm like, and listen, it, them all white unions is nice, and I know how excited the guys get. We get excited for all black, and we get excited for all white. And when I heard they was in all white, I'm like, yo. And then they came out firing on defense, which – D.A. got those guys playing well as of late. You know, on defense, they got five interceptions in the last two games. You know, they're doing some some good things over, you know, they got better as the season went on on defense because you got Drew Brees. So if you can continue to stop people on defense and get the ball back in Drew's hands, 
Because that offense right now is just operating at an elite level right now. They're just so efficient in everything they do. And what you saw yesterday, you saw them double Michael T, take him out the game. You know, who he goes to? He goes to the rookie. <laughs> the rookie's diving, making catches. You know, that rookie, I really wanted to represent that rookie. I yeah. thought I had him. He chose someone else, and he's a great he's, kid and a good player. And it's one of those mixed feelings that I'm watching. I'm happy for him, but damn, I wish he was my client. <laughs> he links up with Drew Reese, and, uh, and it just and just, and maximizes player. And then you got Mark coming back, you know, off of his four game suspension and just getting better and, and his and he's still fresh and he rips off a run going right at the you know the, the young corner for 30 something yards right off the back and then you got to deal with Kamara and then the old line not letting Drew get touched like they're just operating at an elite level right now and coach is calling those plays based off of his talent like you know the earlier in the game they were going to come out and run the ball and establish the run which I thought was amazing and we were talking the night before the game, and you know I was like, "Hey, you guys know what's going to happen if y'all don't establish this run. You're going to start dropping back and you know letting it go." But they're just so balanced right now. You talk about run passing game, and if the defense can get the ball in Drew's hand, you know one or two more extra possessions like they did, like you know they like they like they've been doing. And you can't keep Drew off the field. He's going to carve you up. Ja, as great as Drew Brees has been through his career, and, and, and we've talked about him before, and I've certainly enjoyed watching him tremendously over the years, um, especially his New Orleans years. It was interesting. They, they, they threw up a stat on the Fox broadcast of the game yesterday that Carson Wentz's first 36 games are far superior to Drew Brees' first 36 games of his career. But those yeah. were spent in San Diego. But the body of work he's now done over these last 13 years in New yeah. Orleans is just unparalleled. It's just amazing. But... <clears throat> He is probably better right now, or certainly as good as he's ever been, and maybe arguably better. His completion percentage is going to set records this year, being close yeah. to 80%. He, yeah. uh, he put up his third plus 150 quarterback rating of the year last, last night, and that was mm-hmm. his third this year. Up till this season, his previous 17 NFL seasons, he only had five. He has three this year. And they also put up their sixth 40-point-plus yeah. performance in 10 games, which is, you know, you know what it's like to put up 40 points in the NFL. That's averaging 10 it's points tough. a quarter plus. Exactly. And, and you got to have get, the ball. <laughs> and through the, through the course of the game, you get eight to ten possessions maybe. You're scoring a touchdown on just about every possession. And, and every single phase of the game, yep. the Saints just dominated the Eagles. And there wasn't one thing, in my opinion, the Eagles did well. Not one aspect yeah. of the football game, from coaching to quarterback play to certainly offensive line play to yeah. defense to everything. It was just an abomination of a performance by a defending Super Bowl champion who desperately needed to... Look, it was a tough game going in. Nobody expected that. Right. Win. Nobody could have. But they are in a situation where they still can make the playoffs, can win the division. Yeah. And the NFC East, I think, still can you know is in, in, in anybody's hands. It's in their the own way. hands. The, but they're, they're, they they just keep losing bodies. They keep getting. But they injured. did that last year too. But yeah, last but yesterday, but as everything's different. going wrong, and, and and I watch it on this TV. You're there. Different. But I'm watching. Jason Kelsey goes limp yeah. off. And I, and I really stand. I'm going to say this. I, I hate to rip players. I hate to rip organizations. But I believe the Eagles made a great miscalculation in who they have lined up at left guard. They have taken for granted how good they were and that they won the Super Bowl. And they did not make an effort to put the best line out there to protect their quarterback, their team, and give them their best chance to win. And, and, and they're shuffling things through there. And it has been a weakness all year. Jason Peters, who is one of the best left tackles in the history of the game, if not the best, is just not the same Jason Peters right now. 
and that's he's banged up. He's he, banged he, up, but he battled yesterday. Yeah. But he, you know, listen, he's had a great career. He came back from a significant injury, and he just hasn't performed to his normal level this year, and that's just unfortunate. And Kelsey is a battler, <clears> but when he went out of the game and they had to put Wisniewski in at center, right. they then had to me an incredibly weak left guard center situation that right. the Saints exploited. That right side with Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson is still yeah, that, formidable, but you can't have holes in that offensive line. Well, you can't have people running through the middle. No, you, you just can't. But you know the way you, the way you help your O line out that is struggling is you got to run the ball. They're just abandoning the run. I think Carson stares guys down at times. You know with, where he's going with the ball, but they just walked into a superior team. Like that team is just operating so efficiently right now. Like you said, Drew is almost ninety percent when he goes to Michael Thomas. They took Michael Thomas out the game. Who does he go to? More weapons. Like it's just if you can protect Drew. And you can be balanced and, and keep people off balance and not knowing what you're getting. I mean, the two-headed monster in Ingram and Kamara is just they just have a lot of options. And the options are working and coach coaching and and coaches are strategizing, you know, using a good strategy to make sure these options go. Like that first touchdown by Mark, everybody bit on the jet sweep. Mark was walking into the corner. And I was, was I was like, whoa, you know what I'm saying? And I was I was like, man, you know, it's just coach does he he draws things up formationally to put his team in the best position to win. And Drew, the general backs there, just directs it, he sees it, he st- and, and they watch you act like and they study it. Yeah, and they and they and study it. Is. And that's what they do. And they go and they pick where they're gonna exploit. And then once you say, okay, we got it, they're messing here, we gotta stop that, then they go somewhere else. But they're just operating so efficient right now. And DA has the defense buying into their philosophy. They're reading and diagnosing the first play of the game. That middle linebacker, he wasn't there, you know, when I was there. I think his first year there. He shot the gap so hard. He you couldn't even he couldn't even the guard couldn't even get off the combo block to get to him. That is that is diagnosing the play, knowing the formation, what what's coming, what can come, seeing it, trusting what your eyes see, and going and getting it. But that's and that's a, what they did, and, and that's that, what they've been doing. John, that's a preparation right. that I'm talking about right. that the Saints clearly brought to yesterday's game, and I didn't see from the Philadelphia side, and it's disappointing because you know you talk about diagnosing. Sean Payton, who can make some pretty brass statements, as you know, <laughs> or brash statements, and 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 is cocky um, at times. He said, made a comment after the game that they went after Sidney Jones. He's a yeah. second year. Uh, corner who's coming off a, a hamstring injury, and he knew he had a hamstring injury. He said he couldn't yeah. handle the matchup, he, and he admitted we attacked him. Right. They exploited him, and he re-injured the hamstring. Like it's all that preparation, shooting that gap that you saw, picking up the weaknesses. I just haven't seen anything from Philadelphia, and, and we've had coaching defections from that staff. They clearly have taken their toll. Frank Reich doing a great job last year's offense coordinator of the Super Bowl yeah. champions, now leading Indianapolis, and they're doing great. And we will come back to football, but we're going to turn. A completely different way than we usually do here on Colton's Court. And we're going to talk hockey. And we have on the line the North America's greatest hockey reporter, Frank Saravalli, formerly of the Daily News in Philadelphia, but now TSN's hockey insider and reporter. Welcome to Colton's Court, Frank. How are you doing? That seems like some undeserved high praise. 
Uh, <laughs> it's very, very true. You are my hockey guru, and we are at the quarter pole or so, about 20 games into the NHL season. And, and um, to me, there have been certain surprises in the NHL season, but we're based here in Philadelphia, so let's let's start in Philadelphia. Frank, um, the Flyers have not certainly had a, a really exciting first quarter. They've had a mixed bag. They stumbled, and they had a nice little West Coast swing, come home, and they've really, really struggled at home. What do you see that you're, that's going on in Philadelphia when you observe them? The Flyers are more or less the definition of mediocrity. I mean, you look at every single imaginable number out there, you look at the eye test, and it's a completely average and mediocre hockey team. You could argue that they, the Flyers have been the most mediocre professional team in sports, in the four major sports. In the last five calendar years, you're talking all. You're, you're, playoffs, you're talking every sport, all four sports. not just Philadelphia. You're talking everywhere. Yep, and look at the numbers. They are just about 500. They make the playoffs or don't, and if they do, they don't win a series. It's pretty much been the definition of Ron Hextall's tenure. I understand preaching patience, but at this point, now you've graduated that class of young players to the NHL. Now is the time when you should be seeing some sort of results. And to me, there's two things that are plaguing this team. One, here's a real shocker, goaltending. <laughs> Their safe percentage is worse in the NHL at 880. So do the math. On 20 shots, they give up more than 20 a game, but on 20 shots, they let in an average of three goals against. That's you can't outscore teams. You're not going to win games 4-3 in this league. It just doesn't happen. The Flyers have continued to not solve their goaltending problem. Carter Hart is still probably a year or two away, uh, and he's also struggled in his transition to the pro game. And two, they have a coach that loves being conservative. He loves not taking risks. And, you know, you just listen to different coaches around the league talk, and to me, listening to John Tortorella this morning in Columbus, he was saying, the NHL has now become the find-a-way league, find a way to win. Throw out all the mistakes, let your players go, take the reins and the harnesses off, and let them play and create chaos. That's what hockey is. It's high-speed, high-skill, organized fucking chaos. (laughs) And I think the Flyers have shied away from that in such a way that they're afraid to make mistakes. They're afraid to play. And that's an unfortunate thing when you're sitting in sixth in your division and a team two spots lower than you, the Pittsburgh Penguins dead last in the East, probably isn't going to finish there. Someone's going to have to be at the bottom, and the Flyers, more likely than not, are going to be one of those teams again. Well, Frank, when you look at the standings and you look at how things have gone over this first quarter of the season, I and mean, there's some teams that have really been expected, but there's also a few surprises in there. But the teams that are at the elite level of the conference are, are, are playing such better brand of hockey. And what's more of a concern to me for the Flyers and just what this first quarter season has been is that they had a decent young nucleus that you were mixing in with some solid veterans, you know, in Giroux, Voracek, Simmons, and, and at the time when you're bringing in all these nice young players of Ghost and Konechny, etc. And the young core just hasn't developed under these guys. And therefore, you've watched teams like Toronto. Um, Tampa Bay's kept kept their good core while adding some players to it. It looks to me like Columbus has really gotten things together. Buffalo is finally doing what you know they've tried to put together these few years. And these teams are all so much better than what the Flyers have right now. You don't see a great future and hope for them to actually catch these guys. 
Well, I, I think it's incorrect to say that they haven't developed. I think that the correct phrase would be they've stagnated. You saw them take this big leap forward. Guys like Provorov a season and a half ago, sure. two seasons ago, make this incredible entry into the league. Even last year, 17 goals that he scored as a defenseman. He's playing 25 minutes a night as a 22-year-old. He's a legit star that I don't think people realize or appreciate in this town how good he is. Um, but you look at some of the other guys that they've had. I've seen Konechny have flashes. I've seen, you know, go down the list um, of their different guys. Sanheim has been entertaining to watch at times. I, I still come back to the fact that they're playing with shackles on. I think these guys are afraid to make mistakes. I think they're it's constantly being drilled into their heads. And I think you just have to let, that's the way that, as I was just saying, that's the way this league has gone. You have to just let them go. And I think that's part of the development phase as well, that these really good teams that you're seeing jump forward in the standings is because they're allowing their players free reign. And, and that's not always the answer. Sometimes teams need more structure. I think the Flyers need kind of the exact opposite of what they've gotten. Do you have any solutions? Uh, well, the, the quite clearly the obvious solution would be to make a coaching change. Dave Haxtell's in his fourth year at this point um, for a team that has taken no measurable stride forward. At some point, you need to make the decision, are we going to continue to ride with this guy? Is it simply based on the goaltending that's been the difference between this team taking a step forward and not? Um, I would argue, as I said earlier, that it's a little bit of both. That's the easy thing to do. Um you know, I think the other tough part is to continue to surround the Flyers with better depth. That's the other part of this team is you look at their third and fourth lines, and at times it's like falling off a cliff. The production and, you know, the ability for this team to skate and keep pushing the pace, it really falls off once you get to that third and fourth line at times. And so you really that's notice something it. that I think... Well, you really yeah, notice it when I, you see the Torontos yeah. and these other young teams that have a lot more depth. They have four lines that they can throw at you that all skate and compete. And, uh, you know, the Flyers continue to throw Yori Laterra out there who looks like he's skating with cinder blocks on his feet. So, you know, that's that's the difference between the Flyers and other teams at this point. The margin of error is so incredibly thin that, um, you know, you see players like that, they make a difference in this league now. Well, you know, as, it, as we are at the 20-game point, and the Flyers have shown at times to be a streaky team, they certainly have the ability to turn it around. But I, I'm with you. There have been times during the Hackstall tenure where I'm like, well, they got to make a move now. And the Flyers historically have not had long leashes and patience. Well, they, they, they have not had long, have patience with their coaching staff, but, but they have become boring. There was a time in the city, and I'm, I, I'm a Philadelphia sports fan for everything. I, I go to all four, all four teams. And there were a time where the Flyers were the best game in town. And over these last several years, they just haven't been an enjoyable game to me. I know, I know the Sarah Valley company has a suite there. They, they probably don't. They're not thrilled with it. Most likely, it's a, it just hasn't been the most entertaining product, nor has it been successful. Well, I used to say all the time that hockey is the worst sport on television and the best sport live. Agree and with in you. Philly, it's been kind of the exact opposite. Um, you know, you'd rather stay at home and flick back and forth on the TV watching this team. And I'd rather find almost any other game that's on TV than to watch the Flyers because of the way that they play. You know, when you have high-skilled stars in Drew and Voracek, 
I mean, Giroux is a real difference maker in this league. I was just crunching some numbers. Like, I mean, I think this guy is knocking on the door of the Hockey Hall of Fame with the way that he's produced in his career. And they have absolutely nothing to show for it. No series wins since 2012. I don't know what they're waiting for to try and take a step forward, but you know, if you get to the end of the season and you say, oh, we made the playoffs, let's pat ourselves on the back, it's success, no chance. And I can't imagine that Ed Snyder would take too kindly of that, you know, hearing that in his grave, um, considering how competitive this team was for such a long stretch of time. This kind of mediocrity was never accepted. And unfortunately, you speak about entertainment. I worry about Comcast Spectacore and the overlords that are watching that franchise the faceless mega company that, you know, is neither seen nor heard really since that Snyder died. It's really interesting that way, you know, Frank, I was always thinking that they may get out of the business because they don't seem to have a passion. It doesn't necessarily fit in with their whole corporate structure there. I mean, Comcast is an incredible company, but um, they, the passion of Ed Snyder and uh, with the Sixers when he was there, Pat Croce and stuff sort of drove Comcast. But they are they are a silent partner to some extent. And you talk about the entertainment value. One of the things that always struck me in Philadelphia and still does to this day, you are a hockey guy. You're going to watch every team in the league. It's also what you do for a living. Philadelphians are not necessarily NHL fans as much as they are Flyers fans. So I don't know that a lot of people are really watching all the other teams. They're passionate about the Flyers, and it's that core group, but they have sort of taken that passion out, and it's just kind of listless in this town right now and could certainly use some sort of infusion, and maybe a coaching change at some point is in the offing and could could do that. But right now they are stuck where I think you called it correctly in that mediocrity. But let's talk about some other stuff around the league and some good storylines that have, because unfortunately we haven't had the greatest time here in the first quarter of the season, but there have been some really exciting things through the league. One of the things that was an interesting thing, Frank, and it's somewhat humorous and it's somewhat hockey culture, but that Uber video that caught the Ottawa Senators bad-mouthing their coach. Talk about that for a second and what your take was. Well, I'll just give you the background first for listeners. I I think pretty much everyone's heard the story by now, but seven Sens players were in the back of an Uber on their way home from dinner the night before a game in Arizona in late October, and the driver had one of those dash cams on the front windshield that he didn't let the players know that he was filming, and but he did capture their conversation, and so they were bashing some of their uh, coaches and assistant coaches along the way. Uh, he took it and posted it, and then the newspaper, uh, the Ottawa Citizen in town, ran with it and you know printed basically exactly what they said and posted the video. So the players were caught red-handed. I think, unfortunately... I don't care what sport you play. You, This is a conversation that happens in every sport sure. where the players from a team are have some free time, whether it's over dinner, whether it's over a beer, or whether it's in an Uber where they're saying, man, screw that coach. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. His meetings suck. Our, our inbounding plays suck. And you go down the list. You know That happens all the time. They just happen to be the first real professional sports team caught on camera doing it, and it's in a market that's been an absolute disaster. That team has swirled around the rim of the toilet in the last calendar year with their assistant GM being caught um, uh, sexually assaulting a hotel worker, uh, their star player basically asking or working his way out of town, uh, the owner holding town hall meetings, threatening to move the team, I mean, to think about all the things that have gone on there, 
uh, a feud between the wives or girlfriends of players on the team. It's been such a mess there. They would be the one team that got caught up in that. So thankfully for them, they really didn't get caught. I mean, it's it's a tough spot with what they said, but they didn't say anything profane, uh, nothing totally off-color, no slurs or anything like that. So they were clean in that regard. There's some fences to men with the coaching staff that I don't know that you'll ever get that credibility back. But I think at the bottom line, it's an invasion of privacy. If you're not telling someone that you're taping their conversation and then you're posting it once you ask them if they're professional athletes and they say yes and then you post it online, it's an invasion of privacy and it was a scumbag move by the Uber driver when it's all said and done. And that doesn't absolve the players of their conversation, but just makes it an interesting talking point because sadly that's the society that we live in now. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you for one second, but it is 2018 and there's cameras everywhere and there's social media everywhere. And, you know, unfortunately, these guys do have to kind of be aware that everything they do in public has the risk of showing up somewhere. And, it's, and I did feel for them because they seem like well, nice let me kids. Ask you this. Do, you, do you have a conversation with your clients saying, like, reminding them of that at times throughout the you know, we do talk about stuff like that, that, hey, you got to be careful, that, that pretty much everybody's out there, you are a target, and you've got to be aware of that. But, Ja, you can speak to it better, because you, as the athlete, you know, was anything like this on your mind? You ever you ever sit in a, an Uber and start bad-mouthing a coach, and then, whoops, there it is on the... Uh, yeah, typically, <laughs> when, I, when I get in these cars or these things now... You got to just look at the dash, man. I mean, you got to see if something is filming you, if they got a camera. But some of them don't even, they say they can't even use it. It's in the writing or something that they can't even personally use that film. So maybe this was some guy's phone. I don't know if it was his personal phone. But how do you, this is my thing about that. And it gets on my nerves. (laughs) I should be able to sue that person because that's my likeness. You're using my likeness to get likes. Or you're using my likeness to boost your your own self social sites, and that should be a fine because my likeness as a professional athlete is worth something, and you shouldn't be able to invade my space by taking my likeness to use it as your profit. So I I, I mean I think you know it's going to be some cases where these things come up. I was wondering, did those guys ever go after the driver? Did you know, this just happened, and, and and like Frank okay. said, you know, the damage is done regardless. What are you going to get right. out of the guy? But they but, are trying to go after yeah. him though. Yeah, and, and and what are they getting out of the Uber driver? I, look, I don't blame them, but the bottom line they is... Get, they get something out of the Uber company because they the may, company, they may, they the very company well hired may. the driver. They and, very well may. And then Uber's going to have but, to put something but in John, place. I'm just yeah. curious, though, like, from an athlete perspective, how common is that type of conversation? Where, you know, just a bunch of guys talking football... Oh, it happens every day. Or happens, a couple days before a game. It happens every single day. Just every like single said, day. <laughs> and, and you're right. You know, it happens people, every single day, yeah. And they just don't usually show up on YouTube, but you got to now be a little more cautious. All right, Frank, as, as we got a few more minutes left with you, good stories from the season so far. What do you see as your surprises, your your, your people who have, who have been pleasant, things that have come in the league? Because there's some, some really good young stuff. Um, I, I really have enjoyed watching Morgan Riley in Toronto and that team. But how about you? Well, I mean, they're all over the place. I think that's the best part about hockey now is, like, if you're 24 years old now, you're an old man in the league. (laughs) And if you're 30, you're a fossil. Um, So the guys that are making the biggest impacts are 18, 19, 20 years old. And it's crazy to see, like, every day we have our mind blown by some other guy that's jumping into the league at such an incredibly young age. In Vancouver, it's Elias Pettersson. 
Uh, he's 19 years old. He comes over from Sweden, and he, you know he starts out his career with 10 goals in his first 10 games. Wow! And follows up on an incredible pro season that he had to start his career as an 18 year old in Sweden. So they've he's bringing an entire market in Vancouver, an important one, back to relevance. Um, I think the downfall of teams in Chicago and LA has been something to watch. Um, they Chicago changes their coach. Joel Quenville fired him, longest tenured in the league, second all-time in wins. Um, the the Hawks and LA Kings just faced each other a couple days ago, and it was such a reminder of what used to be in the league. Sure. They won five Stanley Cups, those two teams, in a span of six years, and now you know, they're totally washed up. Their teams are older. They can't skate. They can't keep up in this league anymore. It's changed so much in the last three to four years that it's a totally different ball game now. And you look at some of the other teams that have found a way to adapt, a team like the Montreal Canadiens for me, they're a team that I had written off at the very bottom of the Atlantic division with a team like Ottawa to start this year. They're on a hundred or a 94 point pace to start this season. They totally changed their entire coaching philosophy. Cole Julian has been in this league for, you know, almost two decades now and he's taken his system and thrown it out the window in an effort to try and get that team moving, thinking, doing everything faster. So it is possible to change. Um, it takes a while. And you see the teams at the top, the ones that have really skyrocketed are teams that have drafted well and benefited from bottoming out, not unlike you'd see in the NBA, teams that you know suffered for a while to get where they were. They quote-unquote, trusted the process, so to speak. Crystal ball time for you. Uh, you've, you've watched 20-ish games from every team. Who are your Stanley Cup finalists and champion? Hmm. I would say at this very moment, Tampa Bay against the Nashville Predators. They look both, Those two both teams, teams great. to yep. me are, yeah, class of the league. You can throw Winnipeg and Toronto in there. Pacific Division has been hot garbage. Uh, San Jose is just getting it together, and I think the Metro has really been kind of crappy as well, which is shocking for a division that's produced the last three Stanley Cup winners. But we know it can change, and hockey's that that sport where if you just get in the playoffs, you can win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, Nashville, I get. Uh, I think it's um, that guy is on the cover of the uh, NHL game now, right? <laughs> yeah. This PK year, right? Yeah. Yeah. As, as, yeah. as, a, as, a, as a black guy, right? He is. Who's the cornerback in Jacksonville that said that he could play in the NHL? Ramsey. Ra- oh, Ramsey. Yeah, right. He's, he's Unless he talking. knows how to ski. Yeah, so they brought Jalen Ramsey, the Preds did, in Nashville to a game a couple weeks ago, and they had him sit like three rows up and watch it. And I didn't see the video yet, but I'd love to see Jalen Ramsey's comments after watching these guys skate. So fast. And how fast they move, how fast. athletic they are, and how physical it is. And Jerry wants to, Jerry oh, wants to give a try as being the first 6'5", 330-pound <laughs> NHL player. But we'll, we'll I was see. amazed. Like I, I, I watched hockey on TV and did, but then when I you know, went to a few uh, Flyers games, it's so much better in person on TV, and those guys just are so fast. Yep. They're so, like, agile. They stop and cut, and they move, and they start back up, and then they just bang. Like, they hit. Like, it's physical. And you mm-hmm. and you hit the board. You hit each other. You hit the board, and you hit the ice. Like, that's a lot of barriers you're hitting in the game of hockey. Before I let you and go. And there's not a lot of room either. No. no not not for exactly. as big and fast and strong there's as no all There's no sideline to go out of, balance or, out of bounds on. It's a wall. Like you're hitting. <laughs> and they are tough. The unfortunate part, Josh, is that 
you you can't give everyone a free ticket to go in and see it because I feel like if they did, you'd have a lot more hockey fans. Because like I was saying earlier, it's probably the toughest sport to watch on TV. But in the arena, it's the best on live. Yeah. And uh, but Frank, just I don't want to end on a down note, but you covered the Humboldt tragedy in junior hockey last year when the team got just decimated with with, with their bus accident that killed a number of their players and injured others and just wrecked a small a small community. And you spent a lot of time there. I know it was very very personal to you. Now we're I guess six months or so removed from from the tragedy. How how are things in Humboldt? It's funny that you ask because I'm actually writing a story that kind of on the other side of this podcast. The Humboldt Broncos are in first place in their league. Oh, fantastic. Um, they only returned three players from last year's team. They got pretty much zero help from their league in the dispersal draft. How shameful is this? They lose an entire team almost in a bus accident, and the league says, okay, each team can protect its best nine players. So you can pick the 10th best player on a team to try and get a team back up on its feet Wow! and through all that they were able to sign some free agents they have a couple older players but they've fielded a team that is first place in their league after losing 26 or 27 people on that bus um we're almost halfway through the season now and it's to me, one of the craziest stories out there. See, Frank, that, that to me is part of my love of sports. The tragedy is sports-related and wrecks a community, and then and then sports can bring the community back together and lift them up from that tragedy and um, certainly be rooting for Humboldt, and, and I'm sure a lot of people will. It, you, you shocked me with that the way they did the dispersal draft to really try to help <laughs> to help something that was so decimated. And the NHL was kinder to the Las Vegas Knights coming into the league than, than that league was to Humboldt. But anyway, and, and Las Vegas struggling in their second season compared to last year. Anyway, Frank, your expertise is always welcome. We will definitely visit with you again before the end of the season. Jerry's got a question for you. Go ahead. So we got this, uh, so Gerald has this knowledge of, you know, who's won the championship, if you give him the year, he's going to pick who's won mm-hmm. the championship in hockey and football, basketball, and baseball and the four major sports. You just got to give him the year. Yeah, he likes to have the guests. Okay. Or, the, or, the, or, or, or the Super Bowl. We go, NFL goes back to 1920. I've filled my whole knowledge. Major League Baseball, World Series goes back to 1903. The Stanley Cup to 1927. Um, basketball, the NBA from 46-47. We can even throw in NCAA basketball. And I'll tell you who the President of the United States was, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give me, I'll just ask you one, then. 1996. In 1996. All right. I always have to like make make sure my brain clicks in to to put us in the right perspective for this. But we and 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 the way the Super Bowls work, um, it's the the Super Bowl number and the season actually don't always match. Don't they don't exactly match up. So I got to do just a little little quick calculation because that would have been. Super Bowl 31 in the National Football League, and then it's actually played over the other court. It's played in February of 1997, but regardless. So Super Bowl 31, the, the Super Bowl champions were the Green Bay Packers. In, in the NBA, Michael Jordan returns to the Chicago Bulls, and they win the first of their second three, three championship run. In baseball, let me just give one second here. They, the Bulls beat the Sonics, 
Yep, that was a Sonics year. Then I see you're pretty good at this. Okay. Yeah, Pac- <laughs> Packers, Packers was a Super Bowl in New Orleans, and then so and the Bulls won the won the mm-hmm. championship in baseball. It was uh, the first. For, that's the Yankees won that year, and then did not win the next year, and then they won three more. So that was the New York Yankees winning the first of what was four out of five. What am I missing here? Now we got baseball. Oh, the NH, the NHL. Wait, I got it. I got it. I got to pause for a second on my NHL to make sure I get this right. I'm almost positive I have it. Yes, it, that would You're be. You're taking a long time. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just clicking through here to make sure I'm right. That's the Colorado Avalanche. Oh yeah, I had an Avalanche uh, jacket. I, I the hat. I always liked their logo. In the NCAA, I got to be. Sure. Abs beat who? The, um. See, you're 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 one up in me here, Frank. <laughs> the next year was when Detroit beat the Flyers, but in '96 was it the Devils? That was the Devils, right? Because the nope, Devils won. Was, I mean, they swept the Florida Panthers. Oh wow! The Beezer Flat Who was? Is that? Yeah, Be- Beezer was there. And they, the fly, I believe the Panthers beat the Flyers on their way there. There was that the that was the Rat year, right? That was the Rats covering the ice and yep. everything. Yep. But yeah, okay. So sorry. Listen, you you threw a wrinkle in there that that you're you're catching me. You got the champions <laughs> right though. He, Come on, every... I mean, within the last three decades, I think it's a fair game. <laughs> Your president was Bill Clinton. <laughs> 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 and, you got uh, the champions, though. Hey. But, but, but we covered it. Anyway, Frank Saravalli, our hockey expert and the the guy who can trump me with all the runner-ups <laughs> of, of the champions. And we will tap your expertise again come later in the season when we get into playoff time, see what happens with the Flyers, if they turn around, if they make any of those drastic changes to kind of ignite the season or it continues on its slide to mediocrity. But thanks, Frank, for joining us. And everyone can catch him on TSN and read his stuff online um, to me the best hockey reporter around. Thank Take you. care, Frank. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. All right. So that's enough hockey for the next several months. I'm just kidding. I, I, I love the <laughs> NHL. I love the sport of hockey. Frank is really, is really truly one of the fine reporters around. And um, start out real young with the Philadelphia Daily News and has branched off and become a, a, a really, really leader in North America on it. But let's go back, Ja, to all our issues um, that we want to touch on before we get done here. Yeah. With, uh, we got plenty of time to go. Um, we were talking a little bit about the attack that the Saints made with regard to, hey, listen, they picked up in scouting reports the holes in the Eagles' offensive line. They picked up that they're going after mm-hmm. Sidney Jones. Um, we just haven't seen the Eagles coaching staff do that kind of stuff. And maybe there were no holes in the New Orleans Saints yesterday or anything like that. But certainly that was one of the aspects of where I feel the Eagles lost on all sides of the ball. We started mentioning Frank Reich has now gone to Indianapolis. He's yeah. got that team on a roll. QB coach is going to... They've gone five straight games by the way, Indianapolis without giving up a sack. Which is, yeah, which well, in the f- last 15 years, there's only one team who did more than that. It was with Steve McNair back, I guess, when he was playing with Tennessee mm-hmm. in 2006. I mean, really incredible stuff to go five games. That, that has to feel good for an offensive line. Yeah, that, 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 that reminds me of the season I went without giving up one sack in the whole season. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, you're doing, so, you're doing a lot of things well when you're keeping your quarterback clean. And, you know, being able to keep your quarterback clean, you saw it yesterday. Indianapolis put up a good game plan. T.Y. Hilton was running loose, and, and those guys came out with a W, if I'm not mistaken. They beat a team that beat the Patriots, you know, in Tennessee. So No, um, they're, they're on a roll, and they've gotten themselves up to, well. to playoff contention. And, yeah, they're playing well. And Frank, in his first year there, and uh, the GM took over a team that didn't really have a whole lot. Chris Ballard coming mm-hmm. over, took over a team that had a lot of holes. He came from Kansas City, 
where he did obviously a great job in leaving that team behind in good right. situation, and now he's building up uh, Indianapolis as really one well, of the great young execs in the league. Yeah, he's putting that team in a position to win, and that's what offensive coordinators do. When they're building their game plan, they're trying to put the best game plan on paper that's going to get the maximum you know, abilities out of their players. And that's their job. Their job is to put the players in a position to be successful. And he's doing that there, and that's what he was doing here last year. John, I would also say this, that um, one of my disappointments in watching the Eagles this year is that Carson Wentz just hasn't looked like he looked prior to the injury. There's probably a lot of reasons for that. The offensive line hasn't played great. I don't think they've given him a supporting cast of running game. The offense coordinator, the coaching defections that we talked about, all those things have played a part to me. And it's also, even if you're physically back from the injury, sometimes mentally you're not. He doesn't seem to have the same confidence. And, and, and even it seems like maybe there's a little bit of shackles on, letting, on keeping him from moving when he got hurt last year doing that. There seems to be a lot of factors where Carson Wentz just isn't the same. But Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, who several years ago was the first pick in the draft, came out of the box looking great, yeah. suffered a pretty significant injury where it kind of derailed two or three years. Now looks like he might be back to that level. I think there's still real good hope that Carson Wentz still is that franchise quarterback and that guy. And I think when you see, there may be times in a career, especially when an injury comes in, where it takes you a little while to bounce back and come back. Yeah, Carson is healthy. I don't think it has anything to do with his injury. And, you know, I, you hear people saying, oh, you know, he, is he the quarterback of the future? Listen, the Eagles got the right QB. He's healthy. The guy can play. He can flat out ball. What you're seeing is you're seeing he doesn't have the same, in my opinion, it seems like he doesn't have the same teachings in the classroom that he lost. And it's starting to show. And it's just a, it shows you how important coaches can be, especially to certain players. You know, you, you look around the league and, you're, and you got some of these, these position rooms filled with bad coaches. And you wonder why that position group struggles. It's because they don't have the elite coaching. You can have elite talent, but if you don't have elite coaching, there's going to be some holes. There's going to be some defects there. So he doesn't have. He probably doesn't have the same person in his ear that he did last year. And this and it's starting to show now. Also, he doesn't have the same running game he had last year. And the guys are banged up up front around him. So there are other factors too. But you know, they're just not committed to the run as much. Because, you know, they, they got different guys running the ball, but maybe they don't want to put that the ball in those guys' hands. They'd rather put it in Carson's hands. And it just it just seems like it's making them a little bit more predictable. And, right. um, yeah, they're just, being, they're just being, you know, stopped right now. Let's pop around a little bit. So we got a former coach for, of the Eagles, assistant coach, now the head coach in Indianapolis. There's another former assistant coach. There's guys all over, especially guys that fell off of the Andy Reid tree. But Ron Rivera, who was a linebacker coach with the Eagles under Andy Reid, is now and has been for a while the head coach in Carolina. And he did a somewhat controversial thing yesterday, John. The um, Carolina Panthers had were trailing 20-13 to the Detroit Lions late in the game, score a touchdown to cut it to 2019. And rather than kicking the extra point and heading to overtime, he decides to go for two. Right. Doesn't make it. Game over. They lose. Obviously, everyone points to that decision. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about it because – a long time ago, when I was really, really learning the ins and outs of the NFL, a dear friend of mine, Joe Woolley, who had been the player personnel with the Eagles and went on to be the vice president of the Arizona Cardinals, we were sitting watching a game together, and the Arizona Cardinals coach went for a fourth and one situation where could have kicked a field goal, probably the, the right move was to kick the field goal, and they didn't make it. Okay. And he just turned to me and goes, 
That's the shit that gets your ass fired. My <laughs> right. southern friend Joe Woolley with his accent, I uh, reckon, and all the all the phrases he had. But he said, yeah. you know, that's the stuff that gets you fired, which yeah. which I understand. You know, the safe move sometimes will save your job, but the chance to really go and win, you know. Doug Peterson last year in the Super Bowl, on the last play of the first half, could have kicked that field goal. He went for that touchdown. They ran the field yeah. special and probably was a big pay, play that got him. In your Super Bowl, you come out after halftime. What does your coach do? First play of the Once second. Once I kick. Once bada I bing, kick. Bada boom. Get Drew another possession. So you're playing the New England Patriots. I mean, sorry, the Indianapolis Colts. They've got Peyton Manning, and you come out of the out of the Super Bowl 44 halftime. Give and Drew an extra possession. And you got the ball and went all down, way down the field, and Shockey scores a touchdown. Yeah. And that was kind of a total momentum changer of that game and you kind of rolled after that um, to the Super Bowl championship but those are really ballsy plays yesterday Ron Rivera did a play and and, you know look there were a bunch of things factoring in first of all if you go to overtime there's no guarantee you win it's a 50-50 proposition at best any I mean that's what it is even the best team doesn't necessarily have to win once you get to overtime who knows all all bets are off Mm -hmm. Um, and their kicker had missed an extra point in the fourth quarter Mm -hmm. and a 32 yard field goal in the third quarter which is like an extra point nowadays because it's pushed back right well it's actually the extra point's longer so so, So what's the extra point how how far is that it's like a 36 35 36 so so, so he missed a shorter field goal than extra points so right. the fact is that it was no guarantee he makes the extra exactly. point. So my, my question for you, though, is as a player, yeah. did you feel there was that two-yard play that you could run where you were going to succeed most of the time? Yes. They're, 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 that, that's called situational football. So you have situational plays that you're only running in certain situations that you practice during the week. Ron Rivera, in my eyes, made the right call. I'm putting the ball in – I'm either putting the ball on in Cam Newton's hands or I'm putting the ball on Graham Gah no feet, <laughs> foot. <laughs> Cam Newton's hands and feet or Graham Gah no foot that missed two lesser field goals and that's the point. Yeah. He made the right call. And I got an opportunity to see the, the play on the plane today. Cam missed the throw. Yeah, he missed Jarius Wright. It did he look like it could have been. Looked like it should have worked, and that's why and I say, are there plays where? Listen, we we expect this situation, we expect this defense, we can do this stuff, and if we there. execute, it's there. But it you was, still got to execute. You still got to execute, and that's the NFL. It's hard. It's hard. Even the elite superstars have to execute at you know that elite level, and when they do, it can cost you a game. And Cam know he Cam Cam makes that throw a lot of times, or he just runs that thing, and you know what I'm saying, like. You know, but he knew that, you know, that was on him. And Rivera did the right thing. He said, I made the call. It's my fault. And that's fine. But people were like, oh, why do you – oh, you didn't trust the kicker. You didn't trust the kicker. You got Cam Newton. <laughs> well, can you trust the kicker who but missed a 32-yard field goal? That's what I'm point? saying. Well, you, got, trust you got Cam Newton from the two-yard line. It's yeah. not about not trusting the kicker. I'm not going to – he's already, we're already down because of him. You know, well, so I'm, I'm not going to – the guys are already pissed off because of him because they're in this situation right now. If he makes those, they're not even in the situation. And you get pissed at those kickers. And don't you? You, you do, you do, you do. You, <laughs> you got know? one job, and, and you, you do get pissed at him. So the guys are already pissed at him. The guys is like, you better not put it on his foot. You know what I'm saying? Put it on us. Well, I gotta believe, Ja, that again. Look, if overtime's a fifty-fifty proposition. Yeah. No matter what, and and executing a two-yard play should be more than a 50-50 proposition. I think you have a better chance to win going for that, too, than you yeah. do taking it to overtime. Well, you, yeah, you, you do. It's a, it's a 
it should be an easier situation mm-hmm. than going 80 yards or, you know, 70 yards or whatever you get off the kick. But, you know, historically, this wouldn't be a question. You kick it, you made it. You know, because the ball used to be at the same spot. Now, right. since they moved it back, it's you know, automatic. people are still thinking like, oh, it's automatic, it's automatic. Not automatic. It's not automatic anymore. So you put the ball in your best option, and your best option is always going to be your QB. I don't care who the kicker is right now. Your best option is always going to be your QB. He's a, I mean, unless it's Blake Bortles, but it's going, it's going to be well, a well, you, talk, you talked about running it in, and, and the Pittsburgh Steelers had an awful game pretty much for three quarters and yeah. were trailing late, late 16 to nothing. And Ben Roethlisberger did one of his great things. And, and yeah. Ben, ben is, a, is a, a surefire Hall of Famer, two-time Super Bowl champion. Right. His statistics are, are mounting to where he's in the top of the elite of all time, and he's still going pretty strong. Um he didn't have a good game at all. Yeah, I saw he those picks on the plane, and I was like, man, he, but, threw, he threw a few and, picks. And, and he can do that sometimes. And Jaylen that's a Ramsey, good defense, though. That's a good defense, though. Jalen Ramsey talked some stuff going yeah. in, and Jalen Ramsey picked off two balls, I mean, yeah. to his credit. But at the end of the game, the Steelers won, and, right. J- and Ben, in an ugly play down by the goal line where he right. had to avoid being hit by the butt of a Bloomsburg <laughs> lineman in that file. He's doing a terrific job of right tackle. Back out the way, didn't he? He's, he's, he's like, oh, let me get out the way. Oh. I mean, his, his job normally is to block there. It was to avoid tackling or his yeah. butt and not hey, Ben back. Out but, the he, way. but he got in, and I just yeah. want to real quickly, because um, there's still some more topics I want to hit, but I want to hit your power ratings as we go. You know, we're basically – with six-ish games to go for each club, and yeah. we're now at Thanksgiving time, how do you see it shaping up? Who, well, who, who are your power rankings? Well, in, in the in the elite order, you know, the elite eight, not in any particular order that I think are the elite eight. In the NFC, I got the Saints, the Rams, the Bears, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Seattle, you know, Seattle, Green Bay, and the Vikings. And the I, th- I think you, mis- you said the Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> you meant that. I still think that they have, you know, Talented players. And 2018. I, <laughs> the defending Super Bowl champions, yes. I still think they got the talent. They just got to get it going. And then on the AFC side, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Texans, who's won, who won their last seven games. They started out 0-3 but won their last seven. The Steelers, who have you know seemed to find a way to win because they got veterans on that team. The Patriots, obviously, but I don't think that they're going to do anything in the playoffs, make any noise, but the Patriots. Um, the Colts. I think the Ravens are going to sneak up on people with the with the QB dynamic. I think you may see, you know, kind of what New Orleans does, and you know, with uh, with Drew, but even you know, times two, and then the Dolphins. I think that they'll sneak in there on on, on the playoffs too. But those are those are the the elite eight. The other Oakland. teams in the mix over there: Baltimore, Miami, yeah, Tennessee. Baltimore. They're all they're all that five five. So yeah. so so we'll see. You left. I think you left Carolina out. So you don't. I don't believe. think Carolina is in there. No, you don't. Okay. No, they play they played New Orleans twice. I think they're boot, they lose both of those games. I don't think they're. I think okay. it's only. Um, honestly, I think it's only one team coming out the south. And you left the leader of the NFC East off in Washington. So you yes. think the injured Alex Smith yesterday ends their hopes? Uh, because he's out for the year now and it was a gruesome injury. Thirty-three yeah. years to the day that Joe Stein's been suffering. That was, that was the irony is incredible. Right. But yeah, but um, That's without him definitely. and yeah, I, I think that. But you know, he wasn't. You know, a couple other guys went down before him too. Um, I just don't see that that 
I don't think that they're the most talented team. I think the Eagles is the most talented team in this division. And you don't have Dallas in there, right? And I do. I got the oh, Cowboys okay, in there. Okay, I think right, the so. Eagles are the most talented team in this division. And the Cowboys miraculously decided to fucking run one of the best running backs <laughs> in the league. And I said that's what they should have been doing at the beginning of the fucking season. But, they, you know, pardon my language, but they now they're doing it. You know what I'm saying? So, it's your show. You can say I know, right? But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you know, you just figured it out. Who are you throwing it to? <laughs> Yeah, they, and uh, uniquely what they're doing, not uniquely, but recently what they've been doing is feeling, finding out that Prescott can run. This kid can always run. Well, they play the Redskins on Thanksgiving Day, so the, the great robber heats up. It's in Dallas. They're going, they're Dallas going, they're wins the game. The they're going yes. to be both at 6-5, and five, and if the Eagles can beat the Giants on Sunday, they're 5-6, and six, and That's they still saying. play Dallas. And the they play, That's the, what I'm saying. It's the, the East. And so, so, so it's all still in the Eagles' exactly. hands if they won, and nobody's going to run away with it and no, hide. But no. Dallas with two big road wins going to their Thanksgiving. But Washington, and, Washington and the Giants are out in the East for me. Is, is going to come down. Washington's to played two great. I mean, the Giants have played two great games in a row. Uh, Eli, Eli had a fabulous game where he did. Hit yeah, but he, Eli's still of, running for his life. I, I listen. I don't. I don't believe that in O-line the Giants. Not protected. I don't believe in the Giants. But you they know, got players. They got Saquon. They, if they beat the Eagles on Sunday, and Dallas beats the Giants, the, I mean, beats the Skins, the Giants are actually only two games out. Just interesting. Are, 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 the are the Giants going to run Saquon Bar- Barkley thirty times a game? They and might. Play they action? actually might. No, they're not because they're because they're playing paying number thirteen all that money. Well, so they're going to they're going to get the ball. They're going to throw the ball to thirteen. True. They're True. Not, but that's not a bad. That's not a bad. The Giants got to run the ball 30, 35 times a game and then play action. That's the only way they win. All right. On the weekend where your old team played your old city, two of the other teams you spent brief time with in the NFL played each other. Seattle and Green Bay. You played a season with Green Bay. You played a preseason with Seattle. Um, Good game out in Seattle where the Seahawks won. But um, just briefly, because I still want to get to some Sixers stuff. But the, the fact is that Green Bay made one of those decisions where on a fourth and two late in the game, they decided to punt the ball and rely on their defense to try to get it back, which they didn't. They yeah, have Aaron Rodgers. I don't understand that. Do you, tell, you tell me what you're thinking. I don't thinking. understand that. First of, all, first of all, Mike D, Mike Daniels was, was out of the game, so I don't know. And, and Kenyon Clark was hurt, so your two top D tackles were hurt. And, you, you know... I don't know. And Seattle's running the ball well. They're the and leading Seattle's, rushing team in the league. Exactly, running the ball well. They got that O line figured out at least a little bit. Um, but you got the highest paid QB in the league, one of the best QBs of all time. You know, no disrespect to Drew. Drew is the best QB of all time. But you talk about you know talent wise, this guy can make every single throw, and it's two yards, and you decide to not put it in his hands. That's that's like. That's the same thing with, with Coach Rivera at, at Carolina. I, I'm going to put it on Gano foot or I'm going to put it on Cam's arm and feet. I'm going to put it on the defense where my two D tackles are, are, are out and, and hurt right now on the best running team in the league or I'm going to put it on Aaron Rodgers' ability. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing the A-Rod all day. Ridiculous. All right, I, I do want to do a couple quick things. Uh, the Le'Veon Bell situation, we've talked about a lot. It has come and gone. He decided not to sign the franchise tender <laughs> tag. He is not going to play in the 2018 season, passing up $14 million plus dollars. Messing up my fantasy team. And, man. well, listen, I think it might be the worst career <laughs> choice anybody I've ever seen make in the NFL. He believes, and, and look, as an agent, you've got to have expectations. And I'm going to talk about this more with you another time. But you and I, dealing with contracts, I always yeah. try to have your expectations reasonably based. His agent, who's a very good agent of Disa Bakari, <clears throat> apparently just raised his expectations too high in the past. And Le'Veon Bell apparently has been has said that he expects to get 17 million a year 
and a $45 million guaranteed. And I got to believe, John, it's just not going to happen. Collusion is illegal. It shouldn't happen amongst NFL owners. But if anybody's going to collude and make sure that this guy doesn't get their money, they might right now. The franchise tag is something oh, no. we, I don't, we will see, but I don't see a running back, especially since Connor has stepped in and he hasn't been that much worse than Le'Veon could have ever done, if not yeah. as good. People yeah, just don't value the position that much to give him that kind of money. Well, Le'Veon Bell time in Pittsburgh is done. That's for sure. And it, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it's not over because of Le'Veon Bell's actions. It's over because of, in my opinion, you know, management saying that they he's not in their future and the players' action in that locker room. Uh, we got too much. So, time. Listen, we're bringing this back because I want I want to hit something. Yeah, else. but let, this but is let, too important. Well, yeah, but let, ahead, me, well, let me finish this point right here. I respect Le'Veon Bell for what he's doing because what he's doing is he's doing it for himself and players to come after him. We have to value the running back position. Now, I understand, you know, it's not as valued as it used to be because it's an aerial attack game now. And But I respect what he's doing. Now, the fact that he's turning down all that money and leaving it on the table, that's a lot of money to leave on the table. But there is plenty of teams in need of a running back. Ja, Somebody's going to pick Le- they're they're going, that Oh, up. he's going to get picked up, just not at that kind of figure. But it, anyway, I, mean, ja, I, want to, I want to come back to this. I wish I, didn't wait till, I wish I didn't wait till late in our still hour. Still going to be major figures. Because I want, there's one last point I want to make, <laughs> and that is welcome to Philadelphia. Jimmy Butler. He yeah. he has played three games for the Sixers, one of which he was a superstar at home and, and had the Jimmy Butler chance going. Yeah. And they go on the road. They have struggled on the road. And they play a great game in Charlotte. It's just a, a fantastic game to watch. And they had the ball at the end of regulation. Jimmy and Buckets. The, and at the, in the tie game and the ball at the end of overtime. And both times, Brett Brown elected to do an isolation for their mm-hmm. guy who's only been here three games. Mm-hmm. Just missed the game winner at the end of regulation. Hits mm-hmm. the three-pointer to win at the buzz of overtime. Fantastic game. Great welcome to Philadelphia. And truly, I was excited when they got him for the Sixers because I think they got their third superstar. Yep. And he's gotten off to a great start. Yeah, no, me too. I agree. I was having this conversation with Pierre. And, uh, you know, he Pierre's from Chicago and he grew up with Chicago Bulls fans. And I was like, listen, Jimmy is a straight superstar. And the moment D. Rose's career went to where he was getting hurt in injuries, that's when Jimmy turned it up and turned into that superstar. D. Rose goes down, Jimmy becomes the number one guy. He turns it up and he just performed and just, you know, elevated into the superstar that he is now. I'm super excited for the guy to be here. I know, you know, I think all – all the players on that team have the same mentality as he does. You know, maybe not like they the young guys did in Minnesota, um, but you know they're going to go after it. And I, the last, the last game, you know, that they won on the road finally, and his defense efforts, you know, blocking those those baskets. You know, he's actually he's playing all, all it know, was balls exciting. to the wall, and he's making shots. I was watching with my boys in a bar, and we yeah, were jumping up and down the whole bar. It's excited. exciting. Philadelphia's excited about yeah. the Sixers, maybe not so much about the Eagles. Not I wish so much I'd have got bed in early. But, but <laughs> John, look, it's been, it's been an action-packed hour. I wish we had so much more time. You and I are going to go over to Somo, your restaurant, for dinner, yep. then across to the Wells Fargo Center to watch the Sixers take on the Phoenix Suns and Jimmy yeah. Butler game four, the experiment. Great stretch of six or seven at home for them, and they could really go off on the tear. By the time we're back here next week, Sixers are going to have one of the best records in the Undefeated league. Undefeated at home so far. Let's and keep it going. And, and they are going to keep it going anyway. So thanks for being with us for this hour. We had a great time with Frank Cervelli and everything else we talked about. We will see you again. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you next week. So for six-time Pro Bowl guard, Jerry Evans, I'm Gerald Colton saying thanks for joining us. Courts adjourned. Peace. Peace.